It's no secret that we like to read here at the Difference Makers Podcast. It kind of comes with the job when you work in the written word. That makes the second weekend in February a holiday weekend in Savannah with the hosting of the annual Savannah Book Festival. The festival's new executive director, Erica Dongre, is our guest today and our latest Difference Maker. The podcast is presented, as always, by the Savannah Economic Development Authority. downloading the latest episode of the Difference Makers podcast, where Savannah area community leaders talk about what they do, how they do it, and why. My name is Adam Van Bremer, and I host this podcast as part of my duties as the editorial page editor of the Savannah Morning News and SavannahNow.com. Zach Dennis is the Difference Makers producer. Every other week, we feature a Savannah area community leader on this podcast. They hail from several sectors, including commerce, government, education, arts and culture, and philanthropy. You probably recognize the names or at least the organizations these difference makers represent. This podcast is a chance to learn what makes them successful. Very pleased to be joined on this episode of Difference Makers with Erica Dongre, who is the executive director of the Savannah Book Festival. We are, as we sit here, about a week out from the Savannah Book Festival and anxiously awaiting. It's something I think everybody early in the year is one of those things on the local calendar. Everybody looks forward to to attending and learning about. And of course, this year looks as, as good as ever. John Grisham is speaking and a wide variety of authors on a wide variety of topics. And we're going to talk all about Savannah Book Festival, but as we usually do here with Difference Makers, we're going to get to know our Difference Maker a little bit better first. And Erica is not a Savannian. She is, like like many of us, a, a transplant and New Yorker, I believe. Yeah, grew up in New York, but yeah. grew up as a child in New York as an adult in D.C. There you go. <laughs> there you go. But so... How, how often are you called a Yankee? Not that I have to be. Well, I have a, a group of Yankees I hang out with around here, uh, okay. maybe, so I don't hear it that often. <laughs> and I think D.C. kind of uh, softens it a little bit on the way down from New York. Right, right. Uh, before we turn the microphones on, I got a little bit of the family history. You are a first-generation American. Your father is Indian yes. and met your mother while they were in school together at Cal Berkeley. Well, he was, uh, yeah, he was at school. There. Was she was, school. Yeah, she was. At, at Cal Berkeley. So how did they get together? And, and tell us a little bit about the, the well, romance. Well, from what I remember, um, my mother's roommate my, was dating his roommate. Oh, there you go. You know, one of those, and that's how they met. Yeah. Um, and then got married and had me, but then we moved from San Francisco back to New York, where my mother grew up. Right, right. And uh, then I grew up in was in New York and on Long Island until about 18 when I went to D.C. for college. Okay, so exactly. growing up on Long Island, I, I know many Long Islanders, mm-hmm. and it's always a unique experience. What was it like for you growing up on Long Island? Well, I was very close to the beach. Uh, you know, I could walk two blocks to the Great South Bay. Okay. Uh, had the beach there, and then we, you know, so many of us had boats go over to Fire Island, and that would be our beach during the summer. Right. So you're on the the sound side. You're not on the ocean on the, side. Well, no. The Great South Bay, the Fire Island, is a barrier beach to Long Island. Oh, okay. So okay. you have Long Island, Great South Bay, Fire Island, then the ocean. Okay. So that's how we would hit the ocean: is take the ferry over to Fire Island or a boat, okay. and then walk over to the ocean side. Right. So you were very much beach and water. Yes, moving to D.C. was Olsen I had to adjust to. (laughs) I can't walk to a beach. I have to drive two and a half hours to go, you know, have some beach fun. Right. 
Right. So, so that's what's nice coming to Savannah now. I'm back, back close, on the coast, close to a beach. Right. Yes. Right. Um, your father obviously attended Berkeley. Is it a? Uh, he went to school oh. originally as a naval architect. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, he didn't continue on in that, but that's what had brought him over. Okay. So, very professional class, middle class upbringing. Yes. Um, yeah. yeah, with middle class. And my parents split when I was young. And, okay. And my father remarried. Um, my, you know, each parent had remarried. Yeah. So um, my father lived ended up living in Connecticut after that. But we saw each other, you know, saw each other regularly. We did regular trips to Connecticut. Okay. So get through the high school years. Mm-hmm. You, you move away from the beach. You move to D.C. What took you to D.C.? And then what was it like? I originally, um, was, I majored in international business. Mm-hmm. And that's what I looked at schools in D.C. I wanted that international scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, and that's what brought, attracted me to D.C. What drew you into international business? Because I think I wanted to travel the world, but Is be a business right? person. Now, whether I've done that, <laughs> you know, <laughs> not everyone does what they go to school for, but that was my, um, you know, I was taking French and Spanish in high school, and just, I thought, mm-hmm. you know, I'd love to be the international business person. Mm-hmm. Did you always have an eye toward the marketing end of, of international business, or was that just kind of um, yeah, I would say at the very beginning college, at first I liked accounting because it was mm-hmm. so clean cut. But then when it got gray, I'm like, no, 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 no. I liked the marketing and I like, because uh, I guess I'm a social person. I look at it sometimes you can gather what types of certain people and what might be appealing to them and kind of right. extend that into a, you know, a business sense. Right. So you're, you're living in Washington, you're going to school in Washington. What is that experience like, especially uh, you mentioned you're not across the street from a beach, but you're in a place where there's a lot going on mm-hmm. and you can go and visit sites and oh, great I, I, bars and great restaurants oh I, I love it I, I i i love the kennedy center i love gotcha. um i'm a big dance fan so i love the different ballet companies that would come into town i'm a big music person and the music scene definitely has grown in dc mm-hmm. you know there's a little underground scene and um i'm not a very political person and you can have a life in dc and not be a political person is that right yes definitely can <laughs> You, you almost have to block it consciously block it out though consciously but you could almost go to you know certain restaurants and bars you might not go to if you know it's mainly um frequented by a lot of the politicians and right. interns and whatnot right so you undergraduate american you move not really across town but elsewhere in town to go to gw to george washington yeah, so for I got my mba there for grad school did you basically live in the same place or did you Pretty much because they're not that far apart, American. Right. And you know, it's almost like I lived right above Georgetown, and Georgetown's pretty much between Georgetown, the area right. is pretty much between American University and George Washington University. Right. That's a happening place to be. Yeah, in, in and ac- Georgetown. Actually, my um, last job before I moved here, I was back working at George Washington University, marketing uh, one of the venues, Lisner Auditorium. Right. So you get your MBA, you go out, strike out professionally on your own. Uh, kind of what. Uh, what really attracted your interest, and and how did you get on the path that ultimately took you here? Well, um, I started off marketing. Marketing in my career was a lot of direct marketing, and then as I started moving towards, as I was frequenting more ballets and concerts, mm-hmm. I wanted to get more into cultural arts mm-hmm. and see how I can use my business sense right. to help promote promote that. Right. Where did books enter the picture? Always an avid reader. I will uh, definitely. Yeah. I don't get to read as much preparing for the festival because right. you know I 
I look at all the books I want to be reading right now, <laughs> and I, I up probably on your can't. Nightstand. Yes, I, I read all about the you know I know all about the authors and what the book is about. But I was definitely an, an avid reader, and when I moved here um, for the first year before I found a job, I actually as a, it volunteered just as a way to just go meet people. Mm-hmm. Volunteered at the festival, and it was a little while later, maybe later that year, someone had reached out to a friend mm-hmm. about an assistant director position, and she said, "I think this I think this person would be better." a better uh, person for you to talk to. Wow. And that's where, well, yeah, she was someone who, before I came down here, was editing my resume. She knew my, my background pretty well, and I, I think I owe her a lot, yeah. uh, you know, saying thank you, yeah. but I think you should talk to someone else. Yeah, it works out very well, doesn't it? Yeah. So I, I took a look at, at least your electronic resume, your LinkedIn, and was mm-hmm. looking at the places you worked, you know, Washington Post, and uh, did some things with uh, American Diabetes. Mm-hmm. A couple of things jumped out at me, and I'm sure they were just blips for you, but I think they're pretty interesting, uh-huh. was that you did some marketing on Bodies, the exhibition. Yes. Which, of course, was a really fun exhibit. If anybody saw that, it was I saw it in Atlanta mm-hmm. probably about a decade, maybe a little bit more ago. Yeah, because I remember it was 2006 to eight. Yeah. in D.C. Yeah, and then uh, it seemed like right after that or right in tune with that was Madame Tussauds. So were was, they connected? Or? In a way, <laughs> my relationship, um, when I had left Time Life, and this uh, a friend had told me he was doing um, operations for the exhibit when he came to D.C. and put me in touch with the marketing director for all the exhibits around the country right. and hired me uh, to help in D.C. Mm-hmm. Um, doing that, you, you socialize a little more, go to networking meetings with other attractions in mm-hmm. the area, and mm-hmm. Madame Tussauds was about to open, and... Mm-hmm. They came to me and asked if I could help out for a while because I had just helped open right. this new exhibit in D.C. and and it's a no. And if you remember D.C., a lot of our museums mm-hmm. they're free, so it's right. kind of hard to break in right. with where you have to pay a fee to get in. And Madame Tussauds asked for help and just how we can get that opening, you know, a little bigger. And right. you know, how do we reach out to those people and show them that it's worth paying for this exhibit? So when you're, you're marketing those, it's not like you're walking through the exhibit every day, but still, it's got to be somewhat surreal. I would. I, I like walking through the bodies exhibit because it would be it's quiet mm-hmm. too. But um, I looked at it; it is like uh, it was like a um, an anatomy book in in real life. So, since we're there, I'm going to take you on a tangent. So you talk museums in D.C., you talk the Smithsonian. Is there a pecking order? In terms of cultural attractions in D.C. that everybody, I want to work for this. Or well, I, I think the Spy Museum, or I want to work for that. I, I think in general, you know, true people who want to work with museums, mm-hmm. uh, Smithsonian's going to be definitely the first one they're, that they're going to aspire to. Right. They right. might start off at some others to work their way right. up there. And then you ended up at, in performing arts, running a performing arts venue at... At George Washington University. George it was Washington. Lisna Auditorium. Yeah, we had... Um, we would have we had Billy Gibbons. We've had Listen to Williams. So we had some uh, you know big mm-hmm. musical acts there. We had David Sedaris there. Mm-hmm. He would come regularly. Mm-hmm. I couldn't get him for the Savannah Book Festival. Well, I tried. <laughs> maybe. I tried. Down the road. Yeah, but, uh, I'll keep trying. Yeah, and I'm sure it, it, doing that job, you're running in some some circles that cross over with the Kennedy Center and mm-hmm. and a lot of the theaters in town. And I just had to be a really unique experience to. To have all the to run in all those different circles and get to know all those people, I'm sure there were some characters in there. Oh, there's some characters, and I, ha- I definitely have some good friends. Uh, 
people working within those areas, they, they stick together. They help each other. Oh, I need seat fillers for this event. Can you, you know, I'll give you free tickets for this. Or can you get, it, it's, it's a nice little uh, camaraderie in there. Is there anything that, that you saw in that situation that, that maybe you got to do because of your connections that really sticks out in your mind? I'm trying to think. Like I remember getting tickets for, um, oh gosh, I'm forgetting the comedian's name. Colin he used to be on the Drew Carey show. Okay. Uh, is it the uh, tall guy with the, the hair? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, Scottish. Is he, yes. Yes. Um, yeah. I, I think I wasn't aware of the show happening, but the HBO was filming his special, right. and they needed uh, seat fillers. And right. so we took some back seats, and then they dragged us up front because they needed to fill the front seats. Yeah. And I had never seen him. Craig Ferguson? Mm-hmm. I'd never seen him before. So it was, it was funny. And, and and you were helping out, making sure that the theater looked full. and, and Everybody wins in this yes. situation, right? Yes. Difference Makers Podcast is a great way to learn about Savannah and those who make the city tick. But there's a catch, of course, the two-week wait between episodes. Keep up with all that's going on in our town on a more regular basis by signing up for our free newsletters. We deliver an opinion page newsletter daily, and our news team does likewise. And for the foodies and Georgia Southern fans among the audience, weekly newsletters on those topics are available as well. Visit savannahnow.com newsletters now to get those newsletters delivered straight to your email inbox. Again, that's savannahnow.com slash newsletters. So all of those years in D.C., what gets you down this way? Oh, I guess, I don't know, so I get shy, you know, <laughs> a boy. You know. Yeah. I had a, was uh, dating someone long distance, and mm-hmm. he was already living here, mm-hmm. and decided, you know, why don't you come down to Savannah? Right. Which I did. I was coming here regularly, like almost once a month. And you get here, are you... Are you flying blind, or did you already have a little bit of a, an in on what you wanted to do when you got here? I came without any any plan, or not any plan. I was I had started looking for jobs, but then uh, also things were ending, uh, things were changing at the venue I was working at, and I figured, well, you know what, this is the time to break away, and then I I can move there now, and it'll be easier for me to look for a job while I'm in Savannah rather than trying to do it from DC. And a lot of cultural attractions down here, museums, and everything yeah. that you could tap into. Yes, was it? Uh, when you got here, was it kind of hard to figure out which opportunity you wanted to to pursue? Well, if I could be frank, I felt like it was hard to find opportunities that were open that maybe fill the you know uh, match the experience that I had. So there was um, you know a lot that maybe you know, was a little junior for me mm-hmm. that I would try for, but so it was a little difficult. It's, I think a lot of people are you know who are in those positions that have the same experience as me or the same. Same, you know, same amount of experience. They, uh, They've been here they're, they're staying there for They've a while. They've been here for a while. That's right. That's, yeah. a, that's a tough thing about Savannah, yeah. right? It's in, in, in a lot of ways, in a lot of areas, it's not a stepping stone place. Right. So there's a lot of entry level yeah. open here from what I've seen and what I was yeah. looking for. Yeah. It's when you come in and, and get it early and work your way up. So, uh, But you did get in, getting with the Savannah Book Festival, working for for Kim Suen. Kim Baki Suen, yes. Uh, um, what, uh, what were your first in, impressions? And I, I'm sure that that first festival day it was kind of a little bit eye-popping for you it was but, but you know kim had, having done it for a couple of years before that she um she has this playbook put together you know she, she has it down pat and right. so i learned a lot from her now you know granted little things happen along the way as you you, you transition to a, to a new leader but i think what, what what i was excited about was getting there after about a year of not working Mm-hmm. to be back in and, and speaking with colleagues. and mm-hmm. What struck you most early on 
about the Savannah Book Festival and organization around it and, and maybe Savannah as a I, liter, literary place? Well, how excited, uh, you know, as I was meeting with either board members or just people who were attend, regular attendees to the festival, how uh, how much they love reading, how much they love meeting the authors and hearing about the authors and learning from them, not just hearing them read their books. Right. And I think that intimacy and the the hospitality that Savannah Book Festival offers the authors. At first festival, I loved hearing, especially some of the new authors, or this is new for them, doing a festival or, or other event, how welcome they felt and how they loved the questions they were asked. Like, these people were really paying attention, or they've read the book, or they really want to know what made me think of this character or this story or decide to research this subject. And um, I think that's what what really you know, made me smile about the book festival. Had you done some, some recon or had some experience at other festivals where you could kind of compare and contrast early on? I have to admit, no, I have not helped run or manage or organize a festival. I've maybe been a participant in right. one as a vendor, it, right. you know, somewhere, but never managing mm-hmm. the whole, the whole event. Right. So, mm-hmm. so Kim was a good, good person to work under for about two years mm-hmm. And, and she basically had me follow her around, um, you know, every meeting. Or, so I knew the details of those little details not everyone else thinks about. <laughs> yeah, there's a ton there's of a them, lot right? of Enough them. to fill a book. No yes. When you, saw, <laughs> when, you, when you saw that first that first festival Saturday out on the squares, and I'm trying to think if the weather was good or not, but it, it, the first time you got out there and just saw the, the crush of people and everybody having a good time and outdoors and and all of that can you kind of summarize what your feeling was from that first experience of of that festival saturday like i said it was was just being impressed by our attendees and how excited they were to to meet the author they've read or to sit and listen and how excited they got when they discovered a new author say maybe they didn't get into the session for the author they wanted that they'd read they go into another one hearing them come out and say, wow, that was really good. I'm going to go pick up that book. Um, I think that's what impressed me is just how it seemed more interactive. Mm -hmm. Uh, Attendees uh, uh, interacting with the authors, the authors loving it. Like you said earlier, the intimacy of the the festival is really something. So Kim retires last summer. Yes. Uh, You start as the interim director. You're made permanent, I think. In July, yeah. yeah. Yeah, shortly thereafter. What was the transition like moving from the second chair to the front to first chair? It's <laughs> pretty funny. It's like, well, your name is on everything now, so you're responsible yeah, if something you're goes wrong. Responsible. <laughs> you're the, the first blame. person someone's going to call. All the blame, maybe not much of the credit. Right? <laughs> that's 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 probably like a big transition because before I was doing a lot of work, but if yeah. there was a problem, you know, yeah. Kim was the first person called and handled. So now, you know, it's that first line of defense when needed. Right. Right. When somebody's been with an organization like Kim had been for so long and, and there is a transition did it did it take a while for everybody to kind of adjust to you did you feel like you had to prove yourself a, l- a little bit but I you know Kim and I were attending around. board yeah I'd, I'd already been working there for two festivals right. so like our board members most of them knew you know what I brought to the table I'd introduced the app right. and um, they saw me working side by side with Kim and Kim supporting me so I don't think in that sense it was a big transition other than well now I'm telling you what we're doing and I'm asking you for permit you know thoughts on this let's go ahead and and transition and talk about the the 2020 festival it's uh, like I said earlier it's a bit of an all-star lineup I think so I'm really uh, excited about it if 
if I had to put it to you to say, okay, give us the give us the pitch. What are the high points? What would you say? Well, I, I think like we've had in the the past, we usually cover we cover a nice range of subjects. We have fiction, nonfiction. We have memoirs. You know, military history, thrillers, uh, contem- women, contemporary women. I feel like we have uh, this year an even more diverse. Uh, lineup of authors mm-hmm. um, covering some other different subjects that we might not have had as often in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, we and we have a few, but like again, we range from debut authors to some who've had you know this is they've done this before and you know they've well established. But we have we do have some names that are of note, uh, like Kylie Reed, such a fun age, has been named I think recently to Reese Witherspoon's book club. Mm-hmm. We have Dayton Duncan who worked with Ken Burns on the country music documentary that aired on PBS and this is the illustrated history and I think it's exciting to have someone who's been able to work with Ken Burns and uh, his, has you know contributed just as much to this to that documentary that got a lot of reviews and I know a lot of people watched now you got somebody for the dog lovers out there oh yes W. Bruce Cameron um, you know uh, this is He's done movies that uh, books of his movie, or I'm sorry, excuse me, uh, movies based on his books, um, A Dog's Journey, and I can't remember all of them because I, I don't get to see them all, but this is his next one, and I'm sure we're going to have a lot of dog lovers there. A lot of dogs on leashes. Yeah, that's and, what I'm uh, wondering, what it's going to be, a little doggy lay next to the uh, next to the <laughs> theater waiting, yeah. <laughs> waiting for their owners to come out. <laughs> yeah, you'll have to, whatever the closest park is, we'll have to stock up on the on the bags. Oh yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> but, uh, um, Maybe the dog sitter should come out and uh, be offering yeah, their services. Make a little bit of extra money on the side. Uh, you mentioned something before we turn the microphones on. It I was very interested in, and that was the um, the th- the thing about the last segregated class at Harvard. And yeah, the last Negroes at Harvard. Um, it's uh, it's two authors, uh, Kent Garrett and Jean Ellsworth, and they write about the last segregated class in Harvard before, uh, yes, the last segregated class in Harvard, yeah. and the changes that that class had helped bring to Harvard as well. Yeah, that would be really interesting. Jimmy Hoffa's stepson? So in Hoffa's shadow, it uh-huh. is Hoffa's, it was Hoffa's, this is the stepson of, if I remember correctly, Hoffa's adopted son. Okay. So if you saw the movie The Irishman, mm-hmm. is it Ch- Chuck? Chuck. It's that person's son okay. okay and it's and it's trying to find answers to Huffa's disappearance right which is uh, you know the local legend is is that the the old Sheridan on Wilmington Island was once owned by the mafia and there's certain people in town that believe that oh really Hoffa may not be buried at where in the Benelands but he uh-huh. might be at uh at, oh, the, wow, at the okay. Wilmington Island Sheridan. So that, that's funny. That's about a lore I didn't know about. It'll be interesting <laughs> if, if, if that comes up at Yeah, all. definitely. <laughs> um, your speakers. Mm-hmm. Uh, it starts with Joseph Cannon, Cannon on, on Thursday, Thursday night, night the, the 12th, of, right? The 13th. The, the 13th, February the 13th. What, uh, uh, he's, he's had some books that were turned into movies, right? Yeah, um, the, the one that most people should recognize is The Good German, mm-hmm which was a movie starring George Clooney. Mm-hmm. Okay, so he's the opener. The next night is... is John, Grisham John Grisham as our keynote address. When Grisham responded positively, what was, it what was, was the reaction in the office? Well, it was a lot of, <laughs> is he going to get back to us? Is he going to uh-huh. get back to us? And agent, uh-huh. and, and then finally getting... And it was a quick email from his agent. Yes, he's able to do it. Um, and... And then John and, John and I have had um, a couple emails just to discuss logistics very quick and to the point. And right. 
That's so, but it was it was a lot of hand wringing at first. Yeah. Like, is he going to say yes this year? Is he going to say yes this year? Yeah. So he's been on the he's been on the email oh, yeah. list for a while. Yeah. So there's I mean there's definitely that the list of those you know evergreen authors that you want to bring in as the headliner that you keep trying for. And sometimes you get lucky. Um, the book he has out now, part of it takes place in Savannah. Okay. So that might that might have been. I'm that not saying for sure. There. That might have been the part link. of what yeah. uh, made it fit into a schedule. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I can just imagine it. You know, Gershom, you've had Stephen King, you've had James Patterson. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had Dinah Gabaldon from Outlander. It's just got to be when those emails come in. It's, you do a little happy dancing, your chair dance, right? Exactly. Chair dance, hands up, you know, woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> and that one is sold out already. Oh, that's that sold right? out yes. within minutes. Within minutes. Yes. Okay, but that would be on Friday. Friday night, night the 14th right, on at Trustees. Valentine's Day for a lot of people will be with John Grisham. So. Yes. Very good. Uh, and then the festival's on Saturday, so you have a lot of authors and all of yeah, we have seven different venues. I seven believe. different venues um, around Ch- uh, Telfair, Chippewa, and Wright Squares. Okay. And then Sunday is the closing address. Cl- You've got two authors. Yes. It's John Becker and Megan Scott, who um, are a couple. They are the authors of the 2019 edition of Joy of Cooking. And John Becker is the great-grandson of Irma Rombauer, the original author of Joy of Cooking. And that's been in the family. I think Irma, uh, Irma's daughter then took over, and then John's father. So um, we feel this is an exciting, and you know, the foodie town that uh, Savannah has turned into. I've heard a lot of interest in uh, seeing the two of them on Sunday. Will there be cooking demos? I wish we could have. We we're not going to have that this year, but that would be great. <laughs> yeah. So they'll just talk about putting together. A, a cookbook and their inspirations yeah and, you know sure. and how they've updated and certain revisions they've made to you know i guess go with the times as well yeah. we are speaking with erica dongre executive director of the savannah book festival on this episode of the difference makers podcast before we continue our discussion let's pause and recognize the difference makers presenting sponsor and a real difference maker in our community the savannah economic development authority The team at CETA is pushing to make Savannah a great place to work and live. CETA is committed to creating, growing, and attracting jobs and investment in the Savannah region. Whether a business looking to relocate to the Savannah region or an existing business ready to grow and expand, CETA is the centrifuge of a propeller, making the connections, helping propel the business to success. Learn more about the Savannah Economic Development Authority and what they do in the Savannah community by visiting CETA.org. Now, back to Erica Dombre. One author that unfortunately won't be appearing is one that's making a lot of, of headlines as we sit here and speak, and that's uh, Janine Cummins, who is yeah. the author of American Dirt. Yes. What What exactly can you kind of summarize that situation for us? Well, it was, a, you know, a, a, around the, the controversy um, around the book that a lot of other communities have had, mm-hmm. um, the publisher decided mm-hmm. to cancel her tour fully. And while we wish it didn't happen, because we fully support the book, everyone I've talked to here loves the book, and I think even more people are going out to buy it, we can't force Janine here. Right. right. <laughs> so we're looking for ways to maybe an alternate for, you know, if we are able to show a video of a previous um, appearance, we're going to try to do that, but this is all still up in the air. We're still trying to work this out. Right. And we're, we're, we are very disappointed, but we can understand why the publisher made had to make the decision that they had to in terms of Janine traveling. And just just for the the backstory, and I'm probably going to oversimplify this, but it's a it's a work of fiction. Yes. It's about a migrant's journey from 
Mexico Mexico. or Central America into the United States. And it has stoked in our current political uh, climate, stoked some partisan angst. Yes. And, and I, you know, I I think we feel it's ignoring that this is a work of fiction. She spent five years researching, you know, it wasn't just something she, you know, just started writing, sitting down in her living room and, oh, let me just write this. Um, So that's what, you know, that's why we're disappointed that our author can't be respected for the work that she did do on this in order to make, and other people have said it, it, this is basically a story about a mother protecting her son, which anybody can relate to. Yes. Like you said, it's interesting that that those kind of considerations have to scuttle everything uh, in today's world. But uh, very interested to hear a little bit about peeling back the curtain a uh-huh. bit on the festival and how it all comes together and whether it's the selecting offer. Let's let's start there. I know you have a you have a panel. Yeah, we have an author selection committee. And it is invitation only, so I assume that do they start by going through books and then figure out who they want to invite or how does um, it's, you know, so the beginning of the summer and the spring, uh, we'll get the committee together and a lot of people have, who have a, you know, a former publishing executive on our committee and other readers, uh, a professor from SCAD. Uh, so their wish list books they've heard of that they're interested in and, and we come up with this wish list and then we go to, uh, I take a trip in New York over the summer and meet with publishers. And as Kim has explained in the past, it's almost like publisher speed dating. Right. We'll go in and meet, and you know, here, depending on which publisher we're at, you know, here are some books and authors we're interested in. What do you think? And they'll tell us, oh, you know, might be available, might not. Let me reach out. Here are authors we think you should consider as well. And and some of them we've worked, some of these publishers worked with regularly, so they know our festival and have had other authors here. And so when they hear the feedback about how great it was, they're good at suggesting authors as well that they think would be good. And then I come back and we have this big list and the committee we go through, you know, come up with our original list of invitations. I mean, we'll ask up to 200, you know, we'll send out 200 invitations to get to 45 we also look at you know we do accept submissions mm-hmm. yeah, i was we, gonna say uh, solicitation you said you mentioned it from the publishers but can the authors solicit yes to you guys? yes we have submission guidelines on our website and we look uh we accept submissions between march and june mm-hmm. uh you know right after that most previous festival and we look at those as well and then yeah like i said we come up with our with our list because we like to include some a lot of the submissions are from local authors and we do like to include uh, local authors as well as nationally recognized authors. And how current does it have to be published within a certain time frame? We look for within the year, so the, the year between each festival. So end of February to January, February of going into the next festival. When the committee is looking over authors and trying to figure things out, is it what's that process like? Is there a lot of back and forth or is it congenial? Or It's, oh, it's definitely congenial because we also, you know, like I said, we cover so many different uh, subjects we range so we try to okay here's our military history section and here's our thriller and our contemporary woman and, and literary and commercial so I think different people on each committee might have different opinions of that it's easy they might have a bigger interest in one subject and be a little bit more of the expert and I think that, you know this is the author to, to go after so you have subject matter experts, and their word may carry a lot of weight when it comes to that. Yeah. Um, you send out that many invitations. Uh, you end up with 40 to 45. Do you usually get too many, too few? What- well, you know what happens sometimes is that some authors then 
or their publicists get you know get back to us late after we've already filled up our our slots you know uh, you know, there's sometimes that we're just not hearing back, and it's usually they're they're swamped. Their schedule, you know, the schedule is just crazy, and what they're already doing. So we'll create a waiting list then if they were still interested, but we had already filled the slots we have. We'll put a late waiting list in case someone cancels. We can go back to that other author that we're also interested in and see if they're able to join us. You mentioned uh, genres earlier: you know, military history, contemporary woman. Do, do you have you want to fill so many slots in each one and and how much of it depends on, okay, well, I know that that's going to move the needle with the audience and maybe that won't, or is it just, we want to have this brat thing we're going to... I mean, we try to fill each category, but we're not going to hold out, okay, you know, we have to put, if if we think another book, if we don't think the book is going to be very appealing to the audience, we may not reach out to that. And we might double up on, you know, but there are two great books out in the political thriller genre that everyone's going to love, so let's bring them in. So it's not a hard and fast you know, we have to have five of this and four of that. Um, a lot of it is what we're seeing reviews and the reaction of the initial reaction of books and reviews they're getting. And if we think that's going to be the book Christmas on everyone's Christmas list. Sure. Yeah. Um, so once you do have the list formulated, your communication then is, is more with the, the publicists. Correct. Of the authors. Mm-hmm. Um, and and, and it, how much do you have to the bird dog, for lack of a better term. It, you know, it's it's just like ever, any other, you know, some people are different. Uh, there are some of those publicists that have had authors of theirs here regularly, and they'll pick up the phone right away, or go, I'm so glad, you know, you're, you know, I've been telling my authors how great this festival is. That that could be done so easily. You know, we have some relationships. Others, it's, it's just, it could be a publicist having a hard time getting hold of their author to get an answer. Right. And so it, it ranges from very quick answers to waiting, keep trying, you know, hoping, hoping to get the person when they're between other events right. to answer. Right. And then you have to you probably have a schedule where you have to keep up with these publicists every so often just to check in and say, hey, you know, it's, it's coming. Yeah. Like, oh, I haven't heard back from, from right. them. You know, should we move on? You know, is, or is there still a possibility? And then at some point you're starting to make travel arrangements because that, yes. that's the other thing about this festival is you, you don't pay authors to come, you but you do. Right. We don't pay an honorarium, which is what a lot of other book events do. They pay an honorarium, but we cover their airfare, their travel and their lodging here. Does that cost you? Or is that? Kind oh yeah, of <laughs> <laughs> I mean, um, I mean that that's the big ch- that's a big chunk of the expense of our festival is to cover uh, their travel and, and lodging, and uh, we have SBF at Schools program where we ask some author- ask authors if they'd be willing to come a day early, mm-hmm. so say Thursday instead because most of the authors arrive on Friday. Right, they would come on Thursday, and we would set them match them up and send them to different schools to talk to students. And we work with the public schools and uh, to here's an author and their subject. Do you have students you think would be a good match, and we can bring them in for a talk? But so that's an extra night of mm-hmm. hotel sure. for that too. So sure. So to you don't pay an honorarium. Where do the authors and the publishers find value in that? Is it is it exposure? It definitely exposure. Um, you know these public the publicists they have their budgets to get their authors out there on tours, and this is almost like oh gosh I don't have to cover that expense, but I'm, we're still getting the exposure. Mm-hmm. You know so I think publicists actually do love us. And then they're selling and signing books. Right. Yes. Yes. We report so. book sales, so you know they still get they get all the benefits, they get all the benefits. Uh, of exposure for their author, and they don't have to pay. Again, 
Reading. You are listening to a conversation with Savannah Book Festival Executive Director Erica Dongre on this episode of Difference Makers. We interrupt this interview to tell you about a new sponsor, the Southern Women's Show. The countdown is on to the premier women's show in the area, with the event opening Friday, February the 28th and stretching through Sunday, March the 1st at the Savannah Convention Center. Discover hundreds of boutiques filled with the latest fashions, trendy jewelry, gourmet treats, health, and beauty. New this year, check out the ultimate selfie experience. Enjoy hourly fashion shows, cooking demos and tastings, makeovers, prizes, and so much more. Plus, see Val from Dancing with the Stars on stage Saturday, February the 29th at 1 p.m. Bring your mom, sister, and best friend and spend the day doing everything you love. Grab your tickets today at www.southernwomenshow.com. Again, that's southernwomenshow.com. Here's the rest of the Difference Makers interview with the Savannah Book Festival's Erica Donner. mentioned invitation only and how you don't pay an honorarium so that's two different two ways in which you differ from a lot of other ones Mm -hmm. you also can't buy your way into the savannah book right we don't offer vendor exhibitor tables a lot of other festivals do um you know they're larger um but our thought is we like to concentrate and keep the focus on those 40 plus authors that we invited to the festival that year and i know keep it about them yeah do you get the sense that 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 makes a difference with the authors too that there's a bit of exclusivity and and uh, prestige i think so i mean and just going by you know the last two festivals on saturday running into some of the authors at the end of the day and going this was the most wonderful experience it was just so hospitable and i had a lot of interaction with readers that were just wonderful i mean we have some authors like there's one author he he emails us from last year just to give us updates on what's going on and maybe i'll be able to make it back there and here's the next book i'm working on and the relationships you build with the authors i is great you know we might not be able to uh, keep up with all of them but i think we develop a nice friendship with them is that uh, 2008 was the first festival yeah is it pretty unique that that it has evolved to that to that level at such a quick such a brief period of time um i think so yeah i I think it's neat because i um you know i think sometimes it could be with a a big event hard to keep that intimacy Mm Um, without it staying tiny or right. right so I think uh, the people who have prior to me um, they had that vision and I think we've worked hard to keep that vision that this is you know an intimate setting and a you know um, interactive as well operating the festival I know that you are a, a two-woman operation with an intern from SCAD so I guess it's three I, I don't know if it's a, if your intern is a woman but yes she, uh, she is a three-person yes. operation uh, can you kind of talk about getting all the pieces in place here in these next couple of weeks and then what kind of role volunteers play in the actual execution of the events well there's a lot of I mean luckily you know some of the people we work with have done this with us for a while so like getting the tents on the on the um on Telfair Square, it's they've been working with us forever, or as long as I know. Um, so working with them is easy, but there's still it's dealing with the city and getting permits. And for someone new, you know, there's that worry that am I missing a deadline, or did I forget to consider this that I need a permit for? But Kim, the previous executive director, put a playbook together, which I thought was amazing. Yes, when I when she brought me on, she said, "I want you to." You know, one of the things I want you to do is maybe go through a playbook and update it. And I've been asked that before, but I looked at it, I'm like, I, this is the best thing I've ever seen. You know, you've, I, I can't believe the detail you put in there. So that's helped us a lot. We have an excellent volunteer committee that 
they're pretty much autonomous. They manage throughout the year, they manage the volunteers recruiting them, assigning them to venues and different jobs. Uh, I work with them to train, you know, before the festival. Um, we have a lot of repeat volunteers, so they know how it goes, um, that are ushers or uh, session moderators that are introducing the author during the sessions. Um, they are, uh, there's so much we couldn't do without them. Right. And I imagine that the, the, the board members and the, and the authors, uh, selectors, probably play a pretty active role during festival week as well oh yes and there's help with you know sponsor uh we offer a host option for sponsors i mean i'm sorry for authors if they want someone to take them around maybe at least show them around a little bit uh, during their weekend here board members and sponsors will help to do that um help drive to the schools when the authors are visiting a school they'll will we arrange for someone to come pick them up and drop them off and be there with them you're relatively new to the to the top job but i'm sure you have visions of where you'd like this where you'd like this to grow do you do you want to share are there a couple of points that you say well in the future maybe i'd like to see us add this or or tweak that um i think we're at a point where we want to discuss you know how do how much do we want this to grow and if so how much in what way without you know do we want to bring on vendor or do we will that take away from the intimacy and the focus we put on the author. So I think strategically we're looking to try to come up with a plan for the next few years. And is this the, the, the direction we still want to go? Do we want to add in other categories like health and lifestyle? We might not get a cooking demonstration with mm-hmm. the Joy of Cooking authors, John Becker and Megan Scott, but is that something we can add in a future festival, mm-hmm. you know, for, on a, on, for Saturday? Yeah, because it's interesting you, you mentioned the whole idea of, of vendor tables. Your budget your festival is basically relies on sponsors yes. donations there are ticket sales but but by the time you yeah cut all the, the expenses for the else, venue you know you're not probably not making a lot out of the ticket sales no our sponsors are definitely very important and have been very generous and help us to keep saturday free and open to the public and have been wonderful just they love this festival too and their support is great it's an easy sell it is, and I think maybe moving from D.C., uh, that would might have been a harder sell in D.C. Because right. <laughs> there was so much, so, so many other on. events going on at the same time that, it, it, yeah, it is, it is an easier sell down here. Yeah, we mentioned it at the, at the jump, the, the spot on the calendar is pretty unique, too, because this is a time of the year where there's not a lot of other things going on, and, and you can really... Right, although that's been changing in Savannah. This weekend has been getting bigger and bigger. Um, now there's a marathon on Saturday, or a half marathon, oh, I think. Right? Yeah, that started last year. So I, we we do we do get a lot of people from out, you know, outside of Savannah that come to the festival regularly, but now I think we're going to be, you know, some other people we walk by after the marathon and go, oh, I can pop in over there. The last thing I want to finish up on, and, and it's somewhat festival-related, but it's more of literature related and that's we've seen technology is so much a part of our lives now it has changed how we consume media uh and to a certain extent consume books i mean everybody thought well you know the demise of magazines uh newspapers mm-hmm. have not have, have taken it a little bit on the chin but journalism still has value we haven't seen it really have a huge impact on the literature world, right? No. Why, why do you think that is? I mean, personally, I myself still love the physical book. I love to smell the pages, and I think there are a lot of people out there who still love the book, have, to have it on their bookshelf when they're done with it, and to be able to still see it and, you know, 
I remember that was one of my favorite books or, oh, that was an interesting one to lend to grandma. Right. Um, and then in this case, then to be able to get it signed. Yes. Uh, you know, yeah, that's you the big thing. You can't it's the best. sign a candle. Right, or exactly. It probably wouldn't be a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> then, then that's the only story you're reading. You, know, you can't read anything else on that Kindle. <laughs> so, but I, I think that, too, is if they have the chance to, you know, have a few minutes with the author and get it signed. I mean, that's what you want your book for and your bookshelf for to show everybody. Yeah, I think, if anything, maybe it's it, between the Kindles and the books on tape and, and now – you know, on your phone, you can plug your earphones in and listen to the listen to somebody read the book. Basically, yeah, book an audio book. If anything, it's it's helped. I think kind so. Of the world yeah. Is that a topic that that people talk about much at the book festival, or is is that? I haven't like heard you an idea here. <laughs> I mean, I personally haven't heard personally talked about it at the book festival. I, you know, I might have missed if, if it's come up in certain sessions because unfortunately I'm unable to go listen to the right. author's talk. I'm running around You're outside running around, making sure. The train's on time. Right? Making sure everyone's getting in to hear their authors. Right. <laughs> um, but I, I don't think I've heard a lot. And I, you know, I'll go through the book sales tent and see people walk mm-hmm. out with tote bags filled with books that they bought to go get signed. And Wow, that's interesting. Maybe next week I'll go grab some authors and pick their brains on that one. But, uh, yeah. Uh, Erica Dongre with the Savannah Book Festival. It's been a pleasure talking a little bit about the festival and getting to know you a little bit better. Thank you. It's been a pleasure to speak with you. The 2020 festival is February the 13th through the 16th with the big day on the 15th. On Festival Saturday. Festival Saturday. So thank you again for joining us and appreciate all you do for us. Thank you. Thanks to Erica Dongre for sharing her story on Difference Makers. Thank you also to our presenting sponsor, the Savannah Economic Development Authority, as well as to the Southern Women's Show. Tap into the Difference Makers archives anytime on your favorite podcast app to hear interviews with more of Savannah's community leaders, such as Savannah business icon Don Waters, Savannah's new mayor Van Johnson, and the Georgia Port Authority's Griff Lynch. Difference Makers is a production of the Savannah Morning News and SavannahNow.com. The next Difference Makers episode posts February the 21st and features Savannah's favorite ice cream maker and Hollywood film producer, Stratton Leopold. Thank you for listening.